All right, we're going to go and study from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And that will proceed through chapter 2, the first couple of verses. So this comes after we read Genesis 1, which we began to read earlier today, and then God t- it goes through each day of the week. God did this in the first day, and this in the second day, and this in the third day. And each one of them says, and it was very good, and God saw that it was morning, evening and morning, the first day, the second day, the third day. Okay, and now we're at verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, let them rule, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit in it, with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath and life, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And now, um, that's where the account ends. Then there's another account. There are several accounts um, in Genesis. You might notice this when you read it. And the next one begins with verse 4. And this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And it talks about um, uh, Adam and Eve. But I'm going to jump into that chapter in just a second. So you just keep your finger there in, um, in Genesis. All right. So recently, I came across, I, I saw this. I'm going to read it to you because it kind of caught my attention. <clears throat> it said this. I'm tired because I'm overworked. Anyone? 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 Okay, I see you and me. The population in this country is over 200 million. 84 million are retired. That leaves 116 million to do the work. There are 75 million in school. That leaves 41 million to do the work. Of this, there are 22 million employed by the government. That leaves 19 million to do the work. Four million are in the armed services. That leaves 15 million to do the work. Take from that the total of 14,800,000 who work for the state or city governments. That leaves 200,000 to do the work. There are 188,000 hospitals. That leaves 12,000 to do the work. Now there are 11,998 people in prison. That leaves two people to do the work. You and me. And you're standing here reading this. No wonder I'm tired. Like, okay. Well, I don't know about the math, but I get the point. We're going to start a series today on a biblical study on uh, the art of stopping and resting and restoring life, which is something that I believe that uh, today we're not very good at. The foundation of this series is the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
Right. Now, this is a command for one of the days of the week, but it is also a whole philosophy of how we look at life. Okay? And that's why we're going to look at it at some, in some extent. <clears throat> now, I don't think that um, anyone would deny that the pace of our life seems to just be getting faster and faster. I mean, we, we have to produce, you know? Since Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, we don't have to stop at night. We can, just, we can keep on doing it all night and get more done. As though that is why we're here, to get things done. I might encourage you to question whether that is why you're here. Mr. Edison himself uh, said that he could exist on 15-minute naps. Well then, so will we. We'll just keep on working and not sleep. We're busy and tired and proud of it. On the other hand, Albert Einstein averaged 11 hours of sleep. And he was somewhat productive too, wouldn't you say? Makes you wonder. The consequence of drivenness, of our drivenness, is that millions of people are living burnt out, stressed out lives, hustling all week so that we can thank God it's Friday, but we're so tired on Friday that what we do and where we go may have nothing to do with thanking God or have any influence on what we do. We're hardly ever off. We're hardly ever unplugged. We're hardly ever quiet. We're always on. We're open for business all the time. I think that the smartphone is a perfect illustration for us. How often is your smartphone off? (laughs) I mean, when you leave the bedroom and it's on the nightstand, do you ever think to yourself, oh, where's my phone? Could you go to work without your phone? Would you drive without your phone? Do you remember when you used to drive and people could not call you? Do you remember those of us who are older when your kids went on a date and you could not follow them on GPS? And you could not FaceTime them? You know? And I can remember when we would go play at the playground like at night, you know, alone, without a phone or dad and mom. Today we have the whole world in our pocket. And every spare minute you're at a red light, you pick up your phone. Yeah, you don't have to answer that. Because I know, we know, we, we see people do it, right? Um, you're at a restaurant. Have you ever seen in a restaurant a whole family at a table and not a single one is talking, but they all got a thing in front of their face? You know? Finding out how fantastic everybody else's life is. Snapping a chat here, adding an emoji there. No time to talk in the hall because I got to be. You know what I think? I think this is not only filling up our time physically, it's exhausting us emotionally. There are more kinds of exhaustion than just physical exhaustion. We'll talk about that in this series of uh, these studies. My question is, where have all the quiet moments gone? When do we stop? When do we be instead of do? When do we slow down and restore the soul so that while we're doing things, we're not dying? All right, the good news is that we can learn this. We can learn to live by the principle of the Sabbath rest. We can learn this. It is a spiritual discipline and we can be the healthier for it. Sabbath means rest. B. 
BTW. Did you notice how I saved time? <laughs> Sabbath is God's Shabbat, is the Hebrew word. It's God's rest. It's, God, it's God's gift. It's God's rhythm for the world. And it comes from his rhythm in creation that we just read about. Six days of work, a day of rest. And I want to remind us that was all in place before the fall of mankind ever took place. All right? Work was not a result of the fall. The fourth commandment in Exodus 20 sends us back to Genesis chapter 1. Let's read the fourth commandment. Ready? Let's read it together. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. So, God's pattern. I thought it might be best for us to set the context for uh, looking at what is rest and what is restorative in life by taking a biblical look at, first, what we're resting from, and that is namely our work. For both our work and our rest are gifts from God. They both come from God. So that's my first point, uh, part of it anyway. My work is a gift from God. Let's take a look at that. We don't want to get it wrong. Work is not a dirty word. Okay? God's command to rest on one day out of seven assumes that we will be working on the other days. So work is not a dirty word. God cares about what we do. In fact, uh, Ephesians 2.10, which we looked at with the men at Trinity last night, says, we are God's workmanship or masterpieces created in Christ Jesus to what? Anyone know? To do good works, okay, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God planned before he created us good things for us to put into reality in our lives and with our lives, okay? So let's not forget that. All accomplishment begins with God. It's his idea. This point is made for us in chapter 1 of Genesis. Uh, if you have your Bible open, I want to point you to a few verses. Let's go to verse 5. You see what verse 5 says? And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Let's go to verse 8. And you see what verse 8 says? And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Now let's go to verse 13. You're seeing with me? And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And verse 18. And you see what it says? Actually, it's verse 19. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And so on and so forth, all through this, this chapter is what it says. In the biblical... Now, there's something wrong with that, right? Evening and morning. Doesn't God know? It's morning and evening. Monday morning and Monday evening. No, not in the biblical point of view. Not in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew view, the next day begins when the sun goes down. You come home for dinner, it gets dark, it's the next day. You're in the next day. It's evening and morning. What is the point of that? When Sandy and I traveled in um, Israel some years ago, our guide was very concerned on Friday afternoon to get us all back to the hotel and out of the bus and everything before the sun went down on Friday because the good Orthodox Jews, they're not on the road in the dark on Friday night because it's not Friday night. It's Saturday morning. Or, well, it's Saturday. 
Morning is coming later. It's evening and morning. That's the biblical pattern. The pattern of evening and morning teaches us that every day, everything starts with God as the sole actor. God is the one who's active at night. In the ancient world, you couldn't do anything at night, you know, virtually. God is the only actor. And then after half the day is gone, we get to be part of it. So, like Scripture says, Psalm 127, In vain you rise up early and stay up late tolling for food to eat because he grants sleep to those he loves. God's the one watching over us. Deuteronomy 8 says the same kind of thing. Let's read it out loud. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. Okay, remember the Lord. He's the one who gives you the ability to do whatever it is that you do. The creation pattern of night and day, night, day, reminds us that life starts with receiving, not with doing. It starts with grace. The rest of it is thanks. This is the pattern that we need to see. When we wake up into the world that we didn't make and salvation that we didn't earn, Right? God in His grace is always first. When I quit my day's work, nothing, nothing that really matters uh, stops because God is always at work. He's, he's still always before us. We're always second. While we are sleeping, great creational things are happening. You know? Things too marvelous for us to understand or to engineer or to invent. They are all in process all the time. The moon is orbiting the earth. Controlling the tides, the, the lion is roaring for its prey, and God is feeding it. Psalm 104 says, The earthworms are aerating the dirt, proteins are rebuilding our muscles. Colossians 1 captures it. Let's read it. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So when I get up and I start work, um, I'm walking into an operation that's half done. Okay? And I'm, I'm, I'm taking part in the second half. Now, let's talk a little bit about vocation. Our ancestors were uh, pretty wise to choose the term because it comes from the root of vocal. What's your vocation? What is, it means to call. It means to speak. What is it that you were called to? That's your vocation. Right? We use our vocal cords and we use our voice at least we did before um, before texting <clears throat> so um, that a job is called a vocation which, which is wise actually tells us that God calls us to our place and to our activity it's his calling that we're looking for it, it's, it's not part of the curse it's part of perfection right it was a gift in creation like all the other gifts and all the other good things that God made. Now some people think sometimes that work work came after the after the fall. Work is part of the curse. If we didn't um, if we didn't sin, we wouldn't have to work. This is not true. Let's take a look at uh, Genesis chapter 2, 7, 8, and 15. I put it on the screen. You can also read it from your Bible on your lap if you like. Um, 
I'll, I'll read it and ask you to um, join me in a few some of the words. The Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Now the Lord had put a garden in the east in Eden. Read it with me. And there he put the man he had formed. And keep going. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. This was all before the fall of man. Right? Man was the caretaker of the earth, God's earth. Unlike the animals, uh, we just read that God breathed into man the breath of life. All the other animals were just, let there be this, let there be that, and there was, but God breathes of himself into man. Man is God's vice regent or his ambassador or his, you know, uh, sub-king kind of thing over the earth. This is all before the curse. So the curse of sin did not make work. It only made work more difficult. Let's not forget that. Production, accomplishment um, became stressing and difficult and battle-like, whereas it's not supposed to be that way. Often it feels that way because it's exhausting. But often it's the stress that exhausts us. It's the worry, the anxiety, the what-ifs that we talked about before the service began. You know, what if this, what if that, what if that? We're emotionally exhausted and exhausts us physically too. Our mental work is, is stealing from our enjoyment in our physical work under the fall and in the curse of sin. So now it's easier for us to, to, to be disheartened when we go to work, uh, to feel like we're irrelevant or insignificant. Ever feel that? I bet most of us sometimes feel like I don't know. I don't know if I'm really contributing anything to the world. You know, our spirits can't rise on a higher level of uh, of seeing eternal purpose and seeing God's delight. Instead, we're languishing in the ditches of our momentary sweat and aches. This is not how God intended it to be. I told this story before, but it makes the point so well, I'm going to tell it again. There were two men, and they were building a cathedral in Europe. Now, these didn't take six weeks to make, right? Notre Dame began in 1163 to be built, right? It took 182 years to build Notre Dame Cathedral. I dare say the guys who started it did not see it finished. Okay, so there are these two guys building a cathedral. And they're both asked the same question. Hey, what are you doing? And the one guy says, I'm carrying bricks back and forth all day long. And the other guy is asked, well, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building a cathedral. You see the difference? Right? It's how we look at the world. It's how we look at what God calls us to do that makes a difference in how we enjoy it or, or do it. And look at any toddler. Little Xander in, in no time is going to be going, me do, me do. And he's not going to want you to do it for him. And you're going to keep trying to do it for him until he's 60. Because you're his mom and you're his dad. We call up our kids in Michigan and tell them how they should be doing life. <laughs> Everybody wants to do it themselves. This is a God-given desire to accomplish and to have purpose we, we all crave it. Well, it's a loving gift. Our work is a loving gift from God. Okay. The second thing I want to say is that our work is our gift to God. 
Follow? It's both. It's God's gift to us, and it's our gift back to Him. It's like it's our worship to Him. Our work is actually part of our worship to Him. When we get up in the morning, and like I said before, the day is half over, you know, because it began at night. When we go off to school, and if you're a student, you go off to school, that's your job right now. Your job is to learn, okay? So you're going to work. Or you go to the office, or you go to the field, or whatever it is. The, the good things that we do, uh, that we call work, this is our service in the kingdom of God. If we could just see that, it would make a whole lot of, bunch, uh, a lot of difference. Christ followers, we don't choose our vocation so much as God calls us into it. We don't, we don't look for what's going to make me the most money. We look for what does God want to do with me? What is he calling me into? So believers accept a calling from God based on where the world needs and our abilities intersect. And if we do that well, then our occupation, our vocation is, is more of a delight. When we don't do that well, when we base it on other reasons, oftentimes our labors are exhausting and disheartening and, and downright irritating. But when we're doing what God made us to do, that's all different. That's also a sacred activity. Reformed theology has always stressed this uh, down through the years, that God calls all people to their jobs. There is not the secular and there is not the sacred when it comes to callings. People forget this. They think, oh, being in the ministry, that's sacred. But being a plumber, that's secular. No, it's not. My dad thought that. My dad thought that so much that he taught all of us that uh, a Christian ought to go into ministry unless he couldn't. And then he could do something else, like build things or farm or whatever. That's not Reformed theology at all. My, my dad was a Reformed pastor and he, he got that wrong. Reformed theology says God calls all people to all their vocations and they're all sacred as unto him. We do them for him. It's a calling to be a data tech. It's a calling to, to be a farmer. It's a calling to service uh, air conditioning. God skills people to these things. All right, Martin Luther wrote it like this. The maid, Martin Luther, one of the you know, founders of the Reformation, right? Let's read the Bible and let's reform the church. Was, Martin Luther said, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays, not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on his shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. That's good, isn't it? So doing our work as unto the Lord means prioritizing God in what we do over our own agenda. That's one of the ways that we stop seeing our labors as depleting. We're doing it for other reasons. To honor God, thank Him with our skills, to build the cathedral, the kingdom, with our skills. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. It's interesting how these things come around. 
That, I'm, don't read this yet. Um, I'm reading a piece, of, a piece that comes before it. Jesus said in Matthew 6.25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or out your body, what you will wear. What if? What if I don't have enough food tomorrow? What if I don't get to go to Arby's like I want to? What if I don't, you know? It is, is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store in barns, and yet your Father, your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. You are much more valuable than the birds. God breathed His Spirit into you. He did not do that for birds. The birds are not our brothers, just in case you're wondering. The trees are not either. So first Jesus notes that many of us worry and fret our way through the day because we imagine that we must be God. You know, we imagine that if we don't get to eat all the things we want to eat or if we flat out don't get to eat, we shall not be happy. We think, we imagine that if we don't get to look modern or to be fashionable, we shall not be valuable. And we shall not be significant. But we are wrong. God does provide, and we are valuable. Jesus concludes. Let's read it now. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own wow we should memorize that you know and we should say it to ourselves because I know that you're going to go home and you're going to start worrying, you know, about tomorrow and what's coming and what's on the schedule and what's in the calendar and everything, you know. It's easy to do. I do it too. When we make the kingdom our priority, when we get up because of the kingdom, when we get up because of God, when I make God my priority of my workday, I can, I can then put away worry and anxiety and exhaustion because, hey, I'm here for him. He's going to take care of me. Paul said to the Christians who were still slaves, they were still slaves in Ephesus, he said, to the slaves, this is what he said, serve wholeheartedly, slaves, as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Now, regardless of whether that, what that's, speaks about whether slavery is right or wrong. This is what Paul is saying to slavery, to slaves at the time. And I can think we could just apply that to us as workers. You ever feel like a slave in your job? Serve as unto the Lord. Mark Batterson puts it like this. Virtually any job, no matter how grueling or tedious, any job not criminal or sinful can be a gift from God and through God and to God. And that's pretty much what I'm trying to say today. 
he says, the work of our hands by the alchemy of our devotion becomes the worship of our hearts. So look, if God created work and he created us to work and to serve and to worship him as our king, then when our work becomes drudgery or repulsive or debilitating, what does that tell you? Something's off. Something is amiss. What could be off? Our view of it could be off. So then we need to remember point number one. My work is my gift from God. That's how I need to view my work. It's a calling. Something else can be amiss. The priority I give my work. And then we need to remember point number two. My work is my gift to God. It is my worship. What? Don't make it the, the don't make it the God. Your work is not your God. That's not why you're here. God is why you're here. It's my worship to God. We serve God. Even in the worst of callings, you might think that you've got the worst of callings. <clears throat> we serve God even in the worst of callings because he served us in the worst of all tasks. What was that worst of all tasks? To take the burden of our sin. To take our deaths so that we could live, so that we could be forgiven. So next time you're on the job and you feel like complaining um, and saying, stop the world, I want to get off. Look up and picture God as the boss, not your boss. Picture God as your boss because he really is. And ask him, God, is there anything you want to do through me here today? Show me what it is. Thank him for bringing you to wherever you are and ask him to help you bring him to wherever you are. I dare say it will change the way you look at your work. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, as we try to learn about, about what you want us to do with our lives and, and how we can do it in a healthy ways, uh, we just want to thank you, first of all, for, for, for skilling, giving us skill and calling us into labors. Lord, this room is full of so much skill and intelligence and, and marvel. We, just, we praise you for everyone around us and for this marvelous world in which we live. Please give us the mind to see you in front of us calling us into the day which you've been working on for fully half of it already. And we just thank you, God, that you care about us and want to involve us so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen.